I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Well, there's one thing that I know, and that's we're not getting out of here alive. It's a matter of when, not if. So the question is, do you have your affairs in order? We talk about the Sound Financial House and one of the foundations of my Sound Financial House that's in the book, and we talk about it on the podcast, is your wills and estate planning. Now, this stuff could be boring, but it's one of those things you've got to get onto it, sort it out get on with your life and then come up for air if things change and you need to review. This episode, I'm joined by the wonderful professionals at Aubrey Brown Lawyers, Angela Prochetto and Nick Ketley. You guys are estate planning boffins, like you live and breathe this stuff. So welcome back to the show, Angela. Thank you, Glenn. And welcome, Nick, for the first time. Thanks, Glenn. And I just want to say thanks to both of you for helping so many listeners after you were on the show. Was it last year or the year before? It was actually? last year, October last year. Yeah. No, it wasn't. No, it was, no, the, year it was the year before. Gosh, yeah, so, I feel like last year was a blur. Well, anyway, it was. So, yeah. It really was. So, you know, if you did reach out to Angela and the team last two years ago, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, I'll get that sorted. Well, here's your bloody reminder. <laughs> get your will sorted. Uh, if you've got kids, get your bloody will sorted. If you've got assets, get your will sorted. If you're a living entity, person, adult and all that, you've got to get your estate planning documents and all that stuff in order because you get one shot at this stuff. So this episode, we are just diving in, answering your questions. That's all we're doing. I'm Glenn James. You're listening to my Millennial Money. I'll start with you, Nick. Catherine Kennedy says, will packs versus seeing a lawyer? And then James Brumpton says, risks of doing the $25 DIY wills from Australia Post, something's better than nothing, right? This is actually a question that our clients ask us quite a lot. And the truth is that if you have a validly executed will kit will, it is a, uh, for all intents and purposes, valid will. But the problem with these wills is they are uh, very general in nature. They're designed to work for a lot of people and they're not specific enough, I I often find. And also what you're paying for when you get a professionally prepared will is the advice that comes with that will. And what we do when we uh, speak to clients about wills is we ask questions about their relationships, finances, that type of thing, so that we can make sure what we're actually preparing in the will is what's going to carry out their intended purpose. And you don't get that when you've got those will kit wills. So even if it is correct, it may not be exactly what you want um, to occur. Angela, is that like, uh, you know, I've got a, a blank piece of paper here in front of me, I could handwrite my own will now and if executed, it's fine, but what are the traps with these handwritten things and the DIY jobs? Some of the traps can be interpretation. So you can put down words that you think mean a certain thing, but for legal purposes, it might be interpreted as something completely different and that can end up 
with a situation where you're in, in before the Supreme Court judge, having him or her determine what those particular words might mean. So it can cost your estate quite a lot of money if you don't have a, a will that is clear in its intention and clear in its yeah. wishes. And you really, you just get what you pay for. I don't know if there's any um, so true. <laughs> example where that doesn't apply for when you're having professional services, whether it's graphic design, mm-hmm. whether it's, uh, you know, plumbing, <laughs> Legal work, that's right. Know, everything, like that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cheap because it's a reason, and it's usually cookie cutter, possibly, yes. and it just might not factor in everything. Amelia Kay says, "In what scenarios would a will need to be updated?" I'll go to you, Angela, on this one. Look, generally, I would say to clients when I see them, any time there's a change in your circumstances. So, if there's a birth, if there's a death, if there is uh, anything happens to anybody named in your will, that would be the time to at least review it. It may not need any changes because it may already have been anticipated when the document was drafted, but um, it's always better to to check it and then um, you know for sure that it is still valid. In terms of uh, the validity of the will Mm -hmm. and updating it, Mm -hmm. paying you guys a professional fee, you may actually do things and have a step-down provision. So, if I did a handwritten one from the news agents or post office and said, I want my executive to be, you know, Bianca, but Bianca dies before me, Mm -hmm. well, we're in a bit of a pickle here. So, Mm -hmm. maybe Nick, what do you do with the future-proofing wills somewhat? Yeah, absolutely. So, we definitely take that into account when we prepare our wills and we like to uh, give clients the option to have clauses in there that allow for the succession of their children to go to the, that child's grandchild. Um, if the oh, child wow, that deep. System. Yep. So, um, and also for your executors, you know, if you have a will kit will that appoints one executor and that then that executor dies, then you're stuck without an executor. So, we like to account for those sorts of things and um, we're also there to help our clients work out who will be best suited for that um, type of role and that position. Uh, for those substitutions if they're needed to. We also uh, have what we call the disaster beneficiary, which is uh, where, say, your entire family under the wheel, you're all on the same plane, the plane crashes and everyone passes away who was going to receive anything from the will, so there's no one there to receive it. Uh, We have the option to include some beneficiaries who are the backups in that sort of a situation, so there's always someone to carry out the wishes of your will and receive the gifts. Yeah, on that disaster beneficiary... I understand your templates actually have Glenn James. Yes, absolutely. As yes. the disaster beneficiary. <laughs> so, uh, go get your wheels. It'll be round everyone. They'll, they'll hook you up. But it just speaks to that uh, forward thinking, customization, um, and just thinking of things outside the box when it comes to our legal documents, right? It's true. And often clients will say, oh, I hadn't thought about that happening. I only just thought about what happens if I die and then mm. goes to my kids. But they didn't. They, they didn't think about well. What happens if your kids are not here either? In you know, particularly in a circumstance where you've got young children and you all travel together, and the likelihood of you all being in one accident is fairly high. Um, you need to think about well, if depending on who dies first, it may end up that your estate may end up with one side of the family and not not the other. Mm. And so you need to think through all those scenarios and the likely outcomes. Mm. Nick mentioned. Um, you ask a lot of questions when you are pre- preparing wills mm-hmm. and estate planning documents. There's a question in the thing, but I didn't actually print it because it was a little bit, yeah, beyond the scope. But I'll bring it in and I'm paraphrasing, but someone said, should there be mandatory grievance counselling and all that for an executor? Because, you know, it's a tough thing and it, it just speaks to when you guys are talking, like when Rod did my will, Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, I we talked about this stuff and the executor of my will is Tim Cooper, my best friend, because mm-hmm. I want Tim just to categorically execute yes. my wishes, yep. un- like less emotionally yes. than my sister or my sure. parents. Yes. So, I think, I think it's just a general comment that this is why we have these questions that you ask people to say, well, have you got a really good life-giving friend that Mm. you're closer to than your brother or sister that could actually step up? That's right. And often, you know, clients will want to choose all all of their children to be executor or the eldest only. And you, some, I, I do ask the question, are they the most appropriate person? Because it may be because of distance, they might not live locally, they might live overseas, which is a big issue, or they might not be someone who's good with money or managing administration or anything like that. You know, it needs to be someone you know will be able to manage what needs to be done. There's no point picking the eldest child if the eldest child is not the most appropriate person to do that. So you need to be thinking about who is the best person for the job and not just because they're the eldest, they should do it. So question on executors. If there was an ex- if you had one executor, mm-hmm. is there a, some type of particularly in some of the wills that you guys do, is there some type of mechanism where you just had the one executor listed and they uh, predeceased you, can it be that the law firm, executor or ISAs or whatever the words are, you legal people? We do offer that option where a uh, lawyer from Orby Brown Lawyers would be the executor and that can be particularly useful if you don't have any um, appropriate people living here in Australia. So mm. that can be a huge issue about choosing an executor who is an Australian um executor, because if you have a foreign executor, there can be some additional tax issues Mm. involved. So, it's important to think about that. So, we can offer that as an option for someone who may not have any other appropriate person here in Australia. Because, and the reason I ask this, because a couple of years ago, I had mum and dad um, redo their power of attorney, and we'll get to that in the next little question. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, make Lauren and I joint power of attorney over both of you, Mm -hmm. all good and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, I'll get Rod to update. And Rod's now retired. He was mm-hmm. uh, one of the directors here at Aubrey Brown, a good, um, actually a good family friend of my family. And I said, oh, I'll just get Rod to put me as the executor mm-hmm. and of dad's will and mum's will. But Uncle Adrian, dad's brother, mm. is the executor. Right. And Rod said, oh, I'll just leave it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. So, and I think there must be a mechanism. So, if Adrian predeceased dad. I just want to have a look at it because he, he wouldn't have said don't, you know, he wouldn't have said redo it for the sake of it. There would have no, been there would some have, catch There might all. have been some other <clears throat> subsequent yeah. provision there, I would expect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and, but it just goes to like, if my dad did die tomorrow mm-hmm. and I'm still alive, yes, yes. you know, dad knows that Adrian and I are in a good relationship anyway, yes. mm-hmm. but it also doesn't matter because Adrian is just following the instructions of the will and question for Nick, an executor has to follow the instructions of the will. If they don't, they can be held liable for not following the instructions. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. So, um, the executor is always tasked with carrying out the wishes of the will. And uh, so far as they can possibly carry out those wishes, they need to. And if they don't, uh, they can be held accountable to the beneficiaries for any uh, negative um, results of uh, failing to comply with those obligations. So, it it doesn't mean, you know, get someone you've never met to be executor, it, it needs to be a trusted person, right? Absolutely. But there is some catch-all mechanisms in law. Yes, yes. 
So, yeah, it's just one of these things where when you go to a lawyer to draft your wills, it's just a consideration. Uh, there's a question here uh, from Josh Rock. It would actually be nice to hear what an executor, medical power of attorney and legal power of attorney are for. I get the basic understanding of each role. Some extra detail would be nice. So let's do a 101 uh, estate planning documents. Power of attorney. Who wants to tackle that one? So your power of attorney, uh, and it goes by many names in different states, but in New South Wales, it's called an enduring power of attorney. And it's a document that uh, allows you to appoint other people to manage your legal and financial affairs on your behalf. So that's things like managing your money and your expenses for your benefit, uh, signing any types of legal documents on your behalf. So if a conveyance needed to be made on your behalf because you're not able to complete that transaction yourself, uh, common examples are things like, say, you're going into aged care because you've got dementia, you need to sell the family home to pay that deposit, signing those types of documents, and also uh, defending you in any legal proceedings that might be on foot, um, taking on that role and representing you and your interests uh, when you're not able to take on that task yourself. So it is a document that just gives that person or people complete authority to act on your behalf for any financial interests or legal proceedings. Yeah. So, it allows them to basically step into your shoes and manage your legal and financial affairs for your benefit. With the exception, they can't change one thing. Yes. So, they're not allowed to change your will. Giddy up, baby. That's (laughs) what we're all about here. (laughs) Lock and load. Yes. So, they they can't change your will at all. That is a completely personal document. Um, And it's probably not a topic for today, but the only way to change a will uh, when you've lost capacity is for someone appropriate to make an application to the Supreme Court uh, to consider changing that will on behalf of that person. Sounds like an easy job. Not so much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Angela, we've got the two types of power of attorney, enduring and uh, non-enduring, or what do you call it? A general. A general general power of attorney. Uh, before you talk about the general power of attorney, mm-hmm. we are in New South Wales right now. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just talk, you know, someone in Perth or Adelaide listening to this, mm-hmm. can they get a will drafted by you if you're in New South Wales? What's the labour land in Australia with legal yeah, stuff? Look, um, generally it's better to see a solicitor in your own jurisdiction because there are some differences between the states um, and in terms of execution of documents, um, COVID brought some good changes in terms of execution of documents remotely by um, audiovisual link um, in New South Wales particularly. We've kept all our um, provisions that that were brought in as a result of COVID, but some other states like Queensland, they used their, those provisions for a short while, but now they've revoked those provisions, so you can't do a remote that's signing a, anymore. It's a bloody racket. It lawyers. was because they had quite good provisions as it was. But, yeah. um, and in Victoria, they have a um, requirement that you have to be physically in Victoria to witness a document by audiovisual link. So mm. you have to be in Victoria. So to that extent, it's generally best to see a solicitor in your own jurisdiction to prepare those documents. What's a general power of attorney and how does it differ to an enduring power of attorney? Well, the main difference with a general power of attorney is that it ceases to have effect once the principal, once the person who's made the power of attorney um, ceases to have capacity. So it the enduring power of attorney is the one that continues on after you've lost capacity, um, but there's a specific form that you have to complete for that one that has to be witnessed by a solicitor. Mm. And I think, you know, Josh wanted some more deeper questions, but 
realistically, what I would say to Josh, if you do have a power of attorney yourself, maybe go back to the the solicitor that made it for you and ask the questions to your situation uh, because I think it's just important that we all understand what documents we have in place. Exactly, yes. We've covered enduring power of attorney. We've covered power of attorney. We've covered the will. What's the other document that people need to consider? Well, that would be um, an appointment of enduring guardian document. So that deals with your medical and lifestyle decisions if you are not able to make them for yourself. That document, unlike the power of attorney, can only ever have effect if you can't make those decisions for yourself. So while you can give your own consent to, to medical treatment and say, yes, I want that or no, I don't want this, you are the only person who can do that. But if you were unconscious, if you had a stroke, if you were suffering from dementia, for example, then your guardian could make those decisions on your behalf. And you can put directions in that enduring guardian document to say what you want to happen in certain circumstances. So, for example, for end-of-life wishes, you can say, I direct my guardians if there is no hope of recovery, if I'm suffering from, you know... Um, these issues These or, illnesses, yep. then don't keep giving me treatment, just give me palliative care, keep me comfortable, let me die naturally, that sort of thing. Yeah, because mm. when I have surgery, particularly at Gosford Private, they've yes. got a copy. Yes, yeah. Good. And sometimes the the anaesthetist was like, oh, you got one of these. You're not 85. Why have you got one of these? And they're like, oh, yep. So if you, you something happens, you want us to bring you back? I'm like, yeah, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Yeah, and it's all age specific too. And when I have this discussion with clients, you know, at 25, 30, you are going to want them to do everything possible. Mm. But at 85, you may be quite comfortable to say, I've lived a good long life. I'm happy, yeah. happy to go now. Nick, Eddie Lee asks a very important question. And we're going to answer that and ask it right after the break. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, we're back. Eddie Lee, Nick. Does your superannuation beneficiary nomination supersede your will? So let's talk about super. Let's talk about our will and the binding beneficiary nomination. 
Yes. So, um, ordinarily, when you have an estate, you have all the assets you own during your lifetime. So, that's your home, your bank accounts, your shares, things like that. And then we have what's normally separate, which is your superannuation and also things like life insurance. Um, And they don't automatically go to your estate when you pass away. What happens if with your superannuation, if you have a binding death benefit nomination in place, which is an instruction to your super fund, the trustee of your super fund as to where you want your super to go to, uh, they have to pay it to that person. And that person must be a dependent, so a financial dependent or being a spouse or minor child or a adult child um, as a dependent or it needs to go to your legal personal representative. And that's just a fancy way of saying it's go, it goes through your will um, to the beneficiaries of your estate. And without that nomination, um, there's no default that it goes to your estate and it's actually up to the trustee of your super fund to determine where that super goes, which involves uh, the people who are eligible to receive that super to make that application. The trustee will review it and actually make a decision on where it should go, uh, which is another reason why it's very important to have a binding death benefit nomination in place because then you know where your super is going to go. It's not up to the trustee. Yeah. So, to be very, very clear, if I've got an investment account uh, with my online share broker and it's in the name of Glenn James, Glenn James owns that. If I die, that money is part of my estate. My superannuation member, Glenn James, that money is not, quote unquote, owned by Glenn James. It's on trust for the benefit of Glenn James retirement assets. Is that true? That's, well, that's correct. So, until you die, you have no entitlement to those funds. And so, the superannuation death benefits are only paid on your death. And whether they come into your estate or not depends on whether you've made a binding death benefit nomination and who you've nominated as your yeah. beneficiary. And because I don't have any um, superannuation dependence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm single, don't live with anyone, don't have kids and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I can't leave my super to my parents. No. I've made a binding nomination mm. that my proceeds of my super falls to my estate mm-hmm. and that's then governed by the will. Exactly. So that's and the how taxes you taxes will it. fall yeah. as as it may. It, that's right. Yeah, that there's tax issues with that, but there's nothing that can be done. But in the that. thing is, like and the, and the reason why it's mm-hmm. important to do this mm-hmm. is because Life goes on. Like we were talking before, like, oh, we were here at the end of last year. It's like, no, no, that was before. So, time flies. Sure does. Mm -hmm. So, what if I formed a relationship, someone moved in with me Mm -hmm. and it's all well and good and, you know, I died prematurely and they had lived with me for two years and they have a claim at my superannuation where I thought that, Mm -hmm. no, no, my parents will automatically get that or something like that. So, it's just clarity. That's right. Yes, it is. Hmm. it's just a consideration with your estate planning. Uh, there's a comment here. It's more of a, um, a statement. A lawyer goes to hospital for routine surgery. When they wake up in the hospital, all the blinds are closed. The lawyers turn to the nurse and says, why are all the blinds closed? The nurse looks at them and says, there's a fire across the street. We didn't want you to think you'd woken up and died. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's Um, terrible. That's one lawyer joke. I just like lawyer jokes with lawyers. Um, (laughs) Have you heard the the joke, Nick, what do you call a thousand lawyers at the bottom of the ocean? Oh, I have, but I cannot recall the answer. <laughs> a good start. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, there's an anonymous question here. If someone dies without a will and has a few financially non-dependent adult children, does it make a difference if one kid isn't biological theirs but raised from birth like the other kids Basically, do the courts treat adopted slash stepchildren any different to biological kids by default? 
I've got a statement on that. Have you? I've had a real life family mm. friend scenario. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's an older gentleman. Um, he grew up with his brother and um, an adopted kid, brother, mm-hmm. like yep. a, or an adopted sister or yep. fostered sister. So 100% non-biological. Yeah. Lived. Difference between foster and adopted though, but yeah. Yeah, on. sorry, yep. it was actually adopted. Okay. Sorry. Yep. Adopted. Mm-hmm. So non-biological, adopted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in the parents' will, mm-hmm. this kid actually was estranged straight after age 18. Right. And right. they never saw this yep. kid or this mm-hmm. now adult. Yes. When the dad died, mm. the third entity came out of the woodwork mm. and made a claim, mm-hmm. even though they weren't mentioned in the will, mm-hmm. and they got a third. Mm. And I don't know if it was poor representation or a really strong case, but there's nothing really guaranteed, but you got the best shot, right, at least having some documents. You do. And my story could be missing some gaping holes. Yeah, that are, yeah, you know, probably material. a few little things. But in terms of adopted children are treated exactly the same as biological. So once you are adopted, you are become the legal child of that parent. Um, stepchildren are different and foster children are, are not the same. So yep. yeah, you have to specifically name a stepchild if you want to benefit them in your will. You'd have to include them specifically. Okay, so assuming that's the same, mm-hmm. if they've been estranged from the family and they're an adult... And there's no will. And there's no will. Well, if in that case... Come get it, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Who can have the best argument? (laughs) On on intestacy, the entitlement would be if there is only the three children are we talking about. Yeah. yeah, And what's intestacy? Well, intestacy is what... Um, how the estate is divided. So if you die without a will, you die intestate. So then the um, laws of intestacy will apply and it depends on who you have alive, who your next of kin and, and so on and so forth. So if you have a spouse, then if you have a spouse and all the children are your children, there's a certain way it will flow. If some of the children are your children together and the children of another partner, then it will flow a different way. So there's all sorts of variations on, on the theme and it just depends on your family circumstances. So each state basically has a built-in mechanism, aka yes. will, but if yes. you own property or assets, you're just making it harder for your family absolutely and more lengthy. Yes. Lengthy or something, the Ab- process. More lengthy, yeah, absolutely. It takes much more time because you've got to do searches for wills. You've got to substantiate, you know, that the deceased wasn't in a de facto relationship and who, who the children were, birth certificates and so on and so forth, which you don't need to do if there's a will. So my will is stored at Aubrey Brown Lawyers mm-hmm. in your strong room. Yes. And there's a copy in my filing cabinet in my garage. Mm-hmm. Is there any other will database? Because there was a question here, and I don't know if I made it in this list, about is there a national register or something like that with birth, deaths and marriages or any of that stuff? Presently, there's not. Not in this state anyway. Mm. No, no. Yeah. Other states, there is? Uh, there are in, I'm not sure which other states do have, I don't think there's any um, requirements in other states. So whether you lodge it in a register is up to the person, whether mm. they want to do that. So there's no set, you know, not, not like the land titles mm. office where everything, you know, all the, it's a register of titles or anything like that. There's no register of wills. No. Yeah, it's like the story. I had a, a client and they told me this story that um, their parent died and they, you know, did the cremation and, mm. you know, had the funeral and then, all right, well, we finally found the will. Mm-hmm. Oh, mum wanted to be buried. Mm. Oh, too late. Um, so it is that make your intentions known yes. Yes. on paper and yes. make people aware in your life where you do store your will. 
where you store your will. And if you feel comfortable, I always recommend that people show the relevant people you know, the executor as a minimum, show them the will and um, say, look, these are my wishes. That gives the executor an opportunity to speak to the the um, will maker and say, look, I'm not sure what you mean by this, you know, do you want me to do that? Or at least no, yes, you want to be buried, not cremated, you want your ashes scattered at this beach, not that beach. Because sometimes it can be too late. By the time the will is found, you may have already had the funeral and it's all over. But um, And technically those soft things of burial versus cremation, they're mm-hmm really not really a will thing anyway, are they? Well, they're a will thing in the sense that the executor has the right to deal with your body. So that's why it tends to be put in the will as a direction to Mm. the executor. But you don't have to put it in your will. I just strongly recommend that people tell their family members what they want because some people will say to me, well, I don't care. I don't mind if I'm buried or cremated. Mm. But for, for the family, it can cause quite a lot of grief because if they don't know what your wishes are, they can worry that they're not doing the right thing for you. So I always encourage people to talk about what they would like to do. And even if they don't care, just to say to the family, look, I don't care, do whatever's cheapest. You know, even if you've said that to them, yeah. at least you've expressed your wish to the, to the extent that, you know, you're not leaving them in the dark. Yeah, my will actually says that I want to be buried, if possible, mm-hmm. at um, Yarramalong. Mm-hmm. I think next mm-hmm. to um, like where my nan and yeah. great grandparents yes. are. Yes. Uh, but the thing is, mm. like I, I I emailed a copy of my will, or at least the key headline instructions, to my family yes. and the executor. Yes. And said, "Hey, peeps, this is the lay of the land. Yeah. If you've got a problem with it, I suggest you tell me now, mm-hmm. because I can actually address it now. Yeah, that's right. Um, mm. Yeah. Actually, there's a um, Daniel Newman in the Facebook group said. Uh, in Western Australia, there is a free state-run will bank held by the public trustee. Anyone can store a will there. But, I mean, you know, this we hear this stuff about public trustee. Um, are they government-owned or is it just a private, like, is it a, like, so the New South Wales public trustee, for example, they can do wills and act on, you know, people's behalves if there's no they executors. Can, yeah, yes. I mean, they're bloody expensive. But they have set fees that they charge, mm. yes, and that can be um, quite costly for some estates. Mm. Yeah, so it's something to bear in mind if you want to choose the public trustee to act as executor or trustee yeah. of an estate. Mm. Um, here's one for uh, Nick. What is probate, Nive asks, and does it apply to all wills and inheritances? So there might be some conflation of things there or not? I don't know. Yeah. So, a grant of probate is uh, the court approving your will. So, when you are dealing with assets of large wealth or you're dealing with real estate, uh, the executor needs to make an application for a grant of probate to the court and provide all the information to certify that they are the correct person to be dealing with the estate and they will carry out the wishes of the will and make sure that everything goes according to the will. Um, when you have smaller estates, so where property is held jointly with, uh, say, a surviving spouse, bank accounts are held jointly, you don't have many assets that are in your sole name, you won't necessarily need a grant of probate because most uh, asset holders will become comfortable with getting you to sign an indemnity saying that you'll uh, be personally responsible if any problems do arise out of that because it's likely that you're the right person to be dealing with it anyway. But when you have large estates, so bank accounts in tens of thousands of dollars in your sole name, anything involving real estate, lots of shares, uh, they'll always require a grant of probate uh, by the court to 
reassure themselves that you're the correct person to be dealing with that asset and is going to make it to the ultimate beneficiaries. So if you are younger and still single and you have assets like myself, I'm young, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm vibrant and I'm (laughs) all that and, you know, I don't have kids, so why would I need a will? No, I have one because I want things to be easy for my family. If you don't give a crap about your family cleaning up your mess, well, don't have a will. But if you want to be a reasonable person to your family and you are single and you don't have kids, still get a will. Still get a will because- Get your power of attorney. Get your parents to be, you know, your uh, your power of attorney. Exactly. And in many ways, um, being single is even more of a reason to have a will because you don't, you will unlikely have those jointly held assets where it's going to default to the survivor. And you need to let your family know where you want assets to go because there won't be those children or that spouse where you'd expect them to go and you need to, you know, provide them with those instructions. So in, in many ways, uh, being young and single, if you've, you know, even got if you've got a property, absolutely. If you've even got bank accounts with a bit of money in them or shares, absolutely. It's even more reason to have a will than if you have a spouse and kids and you hold everything jointly and you've got that nuclear family. Yeah. Amy asks, do you need to update your will if you move interstate? And what should a decent will cover? Um, you may need to update your will if you move interstate, just depending on what assets you might hold. Um, it's good to review the will if if there's a change in circumstances. So that would be one of them. The other document that you may want to update is a power of attorney, for example, so that that power of attorney, they are recognised between the jurisdictions to an extent, but the safer way is to have a power of attorney in each jurisdiction that you own real estate, for example, or that you hold assets. Ah, interesting. So if I live in New South Wales, as Mm -hmm. I do, and decide I want to buy an investment property in Queensland, Mm -hmm. would you say it would be highly suggested that I would consider a power of attorney in yes. Queensland. Yeah, highly suggested, yes, yeah. that you consider it. That's right, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if Johnny Pidge knows that. I'm going to talk to him about that because he has lots of clients that own property all around Australia. Yeah, yeah. Th- as I said, they can be recognised through between the jurisdictions, but it, you need to be sure that the, a power of attorney from New South Wales, for example, would would cover all the same matters. Yeah. That, um, generally it will, but then there may be some small differences that might be relevant. Ben has a banger of a question. My parents have verbally said they want to split their assets evenly between me and my sister, but are unwilling, and he makes the pun intended, to write a will. If they both were to pass away and neither remarried, would the asset get split evenly anyways without a will? The short answer is yes, under the rules of intestacy in New South Wales, where you... um, your spouse predeceases you and you leave your children, your children will be entitled to that estate in equal shares provided there are no other uh, children or spouses to deal with. Um, the long answer is it makes everything a lot more complicated for your children. So you need to uh, make those searches for the any wills that do exist. You need to, there's a higher burden of proof and there's just, it's a lot more time and a lot more pain when if you just have the will, you know, it's a much simpler process. So Getting the will isn't for you. Getting the will is for your family who survive you because at the end of the day, they're the ones who are going to be dealing with your estate and they're the ones who need that support of the will to make sure they can actually carry out your wishes in the way you'd like them to. What I would say to you, Ben, you know, you need to talk to your parents and say, yes, theoretically, if everything went swimmingly, it would wash out that way. But you're not going to be around and I've got to deal with this I will bloody pay and get you a will. It's under $500, whatever. I'll pay for it 
I need you to step up, be a freaking grown up and help me help you, yes. you tight ass, pain in the ass <laughs> who won't get a will. Um, and I'm being dramatic, but whatever. So that's that's what I would say. You just do this mm. to make it easy. Yeah, yeah. And look, a lot of people will say, oh, well, that's how it's going to go anyway. I don't need to bother with the will, these parents have said. Mm. But again, it's it's the, the extra work that's involved, um, the searches, the, you know, the, the birth certificates you've then got to find to, to substantiate everyone's mm. existence, yeah. Um, Nang said a couple with no will, similar thing. Mm. What happens when one of us died or what happens if both of us died? So we'll just double down on that. It depends how assets are owned. Right. Um, if everything's owned jointly, if you die together. Um, and, and, you know, people talk about dying together, but more often than not, you won't die simultaneously. One will die first and then the other will die shortly thereafter. And then it will, if everything's owned as joint tenants, it will pass by survivorship to the last to die. Mm. Yeah, and it just speaks to that. Hey, everyone, just sort this out and get on with your life. Yeah. And yeah. if you remarry or get divorced, redo your will. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about kids um, anonymously. This person said, can you will custody to your spouse who is a step-parent of your child? Well, it's not so much that you will custody because, first of all, that that's something – well, I guess – it's the guardianship that we talk about in a testamentary guardian. So you can nominate a testamentary guardian in your will um, and you can nominate your spouse being the step-parent. Um, there are a couple of options. You can say, if my if I die and leave my child without a parent, so in that case it would be both parents have died and then the step-parent would be appointed as testamentary guardian. Or you can say you want the step-parent to act as testamentary guardian with the surviving parent, depending on the circumstances, but you have to think about the scenario and it depends on the level of the relationship between the, the ex-spouses, I guess. Yeah. And, and this just goes down to, you know, if you did have, you know, we've just recorded that was up last week, the family law episode. Yes. If you did, if you were divorced mm-hmm. or separated and you had kids, like you would, because you're, you know, you, you separate, but you still need each other's life to a point because you've got kids. Mm-hmm. Like there has to be some type of acknowledgement or discussion that if I died, well, I expect you to take the kids or is this person type of getting at, well, this kid's grown up in this house here mm-hmm. with my new partner and it's good as a step parent. Mm-hmm. Like, does it all mean, and it might've been a family law question, mm-hmm. that that child can still spend time with the step parent? Well, you can express that wish in your will that you'd like them to, you know, particularly if it's a blended family where there are children that you've had since then and they're, they're half siblings, let's say, and you can say, I express the wish that my child spend time with, with my, you know, with his half siblings and yeah. whatever. Whatever your wishes are, it's good to express clearly. In an ideal world, you'd have a discussion with all the relevant parents and step parents to say, look, if something happened to me, what's going to happen? to Johnny or Katie or whatever um, and and work it out as, you know, responsible adults. And, and that's the thing, like the will expresses your wishes. Yeah. I mean, I could express in my will that I would like a Viking uh, burial and at sure. sea and light me on fire. Well, yeah. that's cute, Glenn, not happening. <laughs> like actually can't happen. So, and that's the reason why I think one of the reasons why you go to a lawyer mm. to actually talk about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And there's another question here. Does your ex have any claim on your estate? So, and that's separated long period and separation finalized. So, what if 10 years ago you're separated, divorced, everything's moved on, there's now adult kids? Like, 
Can stuff still come out of the woodwork? Look, um, an ex-spouse is an eligible person for family provision purposes, but they have a higher standard that they've, they've got to show factors warranting. So there would have to be some extenuating circumstances as to why they could make that claim. Um, in the normal course, it wouldn't be usual for an ex-spouse to make a claim, particularly if there's already been a property law settlement, family law property settlement. Um, but they are listed as a an eligible person for that purpose. Mm-hmm. So you do a lot of litigation uh, for a variety of reasons. Vicky Ryder and hey Vicky, hope you're well. How to successfully defend a challenge to a will and minimise legal fees? I mean, that's a bit of a loaded, how long's a piece of string exactly, question. Exactly, quite. Well, the first thing I'd say on that is try not to end up in litigation because that is expensive and it's how long is a piece of string and you can end up spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, because what happens, you lawyers, you charge in units of six minutes, don't you? Yes, Sometimes. we are known to do that. That's yeah. correct, yes. And then I had a legal thing the other day, mm. not with you. Mm-hmm. I, you were representing me, but I had to – anyway, I got a bill from mm. the other side mm-hmm. and they're like, telephone call to the other side, you know, half an hour. I'm like, get stuff. You did not spend half an hour on the phone. Anyway. That's a whole other yeah. issue about costs. Just, <clears throat> <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Um, but I like how – you know, you guys, you just have fixed fees do, yeah. for a will and estate plan. So, correct, this yeah. is the fee for the will. Mm-hmm. You know, if it takes you three hours with that client, yes. well, that's the fee. That's right. mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, just don't let it, it'll try and, I don't know what we're saying. I was yeah. just so enraged. The advice always would be to try and resolve it without the need to go to court. And um, you may end up having to resolve it for a slightly higher amount than you feel is uh, appropriate, but for the certainty of knowing that you've settled the matter and that you can then all move on with your lives and, um, you know, not not be um, caught in litigation for up to three years, it could be, just depending on the circumstances um, and having the uncertainty of having another person, a judge, make a decision about your family circumstances. And the other thing that I like to draw to people's attention is that if there is a judgment in the Supreme Court for a family provision matter, it's a public record. And so all the details of your family and um, your own financial details and your personal details are there for the whole world to see. Mm. So just that's that would be another reason, even without the costs yeah. involved, of thinking twice about embarking on litigation. Nick, when you're doing a will, because you talk with a lot of clients and a lot of listeners of My Millennial Money, what's one thing that just always comes up that might be a misconception about the will process or creating estate planning documents? Well, leading back to making a claim on estate, one of the things clients often ask me is if I leave them something, can that prevent them from making a claim? And the short answer is no. Uh, If you're an eligible person, you can make a claim, you can have uh, a child that's been left 99% of the estate and if they think they haven't got enough provision and they want that final 1%, they can still make a claim for that final 1% and they probably wouldn't get very far with it. But at the end of the day, they can make that claim. So when you are preparing your will and thinking about people, just knowing that it doesn't matter what you do, if um, someone wants, if you expect someone to make a claim, then that claim is likely to arise. There are things you can do to mitigate um, the potential, like you know, 
giving that child a bit more than you want to. Um, if there's a child who is no longer, you know, part of the family, uh, isn't talking to mum and dad, or um, you can prepare what's called a family provision affidavit, which uh, is not the answer to avoiding family provision claims, but it is a bit of an explanation to the court as to why you've done things the way you have and can assist in um, just giving your side of the story, really, when you're not there to give it. Um, but at the end of the day, just knowing that although your will is a perfectly valid will, it doesn't mean that your family members uh, can't try and change uh, those testamentary dispositions that you've given in your will if they think that they haven't been given enough. Yeah, and it's funny, and this is why every single relationship, every single family unit, every single client that you guys work with, it's so bespoke and unique. And I remember bringing a client in uh, one day back in the day and I think I was sitting with Fiona and, you know, because often I would, because I believed in everyone getting their will and estate planning, I would often just come to your office with my clients. You know, I don't charge for this. I'm not getting kickbacks or any of that stuff. I basically will do the introduction, sit there and play like, you know, something on my phone, like Mm -hmm. just to be there with them. And there was a situation with one of the clients, they kind of had this companion type not living together and, you know, and I think she's like, oh, I, I don't need to leave him anything because he's well-to-do. But, it, And I said the comment to Fiona, I'm like, in that situation, could you write like, oh, just I wish to leave so-and-so $10,000, just like there's the money, piece off. Mm. She goes, well, it can be a precedent that, well, that should have been 100000 And this is why it's just so important to discuss your personal situation. Yeah, yeah. And that's why we ask lots of questions and often clients will, you know, say, well, you asked so many more questions than the last lawyer who did my will. But unless you ask the questions and get a sense of people's family circumstances and, and you know, who's who in the zoo, then mm. you can't properly advise them on, on yeah. their situation. Mm. I mean, we've covered a lot of ground. And again, I just wanted to do this episode just to bring it to front of mind for people. It's like, this is real. Uh, and life happens and, you know, a couple of weeks or months ago or whatever when I'm, um, you know, I don't know when this episode will go up, but I talked about on an episode that, you know, someone in my world who was 46 died prematurely, left a family behind. You know, Angela, I introduced them to Angela and you're helping them uh, and the surviving spouse kind of do the, you know, the probate and all that stuff. So, and just on that, that case aside, what's the process if someone dies, when, particularly if they're, you've got a property and in a relationship, what's the mechanics of that? So you get a phone call, hi, my partner's just died. I found their will, help. Yes. So what do you do? Depending on when um, they call me, I um, sometimes you get the call like the day or the day after someone's died. Um, people get concerned, what do I have to do? Is there anything I have to do immediately? I normally say to people, you need to focus on the funeral, on the celebration of that person's life because that's the most important thing at this moment. Um, we really can't progress the estate until we've got the death certificate. Sure. So um, sometimes people want to come in sooner and just have a chat about everything and, and make sure that they've got um, everything in place ready to go or, you know, that they know what's going on. They want to bring in documents to, to make sure we know what they've got. And just on that, because yeah. that can be, you know, part of grief is like, I'm a doer. I yes. need to go and do. Oh, definitely. So it's like, yes. just, I know it's hard. Yeah. We need to wait yeah. for the death certificate. Exactly, just, yeah. yeah. And sometimes it's a relief for people to know, okay, there's nothing I can do at the moment. Mm. 
focus on the funeral, celebrate your, you know, your partner or your, your mum's life or whoever it is, celebrate their life, spend that time with your family. When the death certificate comes, ring me, we'll make an appointment to come in and talk about the estate. Yep. Yeah. So it's just giving them that permission to not have to do anything with the estate and just focus on the grieving process. And yeah. I would say, I don't want you to say it, Angela, mm-hmm. but if your partner or spouse dies, mm-hmm. this is Glenn, some guy on a podcast, um, don't before you talk to the lawyer or Angela or Nick and the team, because everyone, particularly in New South Wales, you're going to use Aubrey Brown and I'm not getting a cent from any work that they get. I just want people to be looked after. If someone did die, don't just jump on the phone and tell companies that someone's died. Like just wait 10 seconds until you speak with... Yeah. A lawyer. Yeah. Is that a fair but look, motherhood? Yeah, call us first and then we yeah. can tell you who needs to be notified sooner yeah. than later. There are certain people that obviously things like Centrelink, you want to notify them so that payments yes. don't continue to be made, although, you know, they can be called back. So there's, there's um, yeah, get some But there just can advice. be some hmm. in different ramifications. Like I'm sure a um, you just want to create work that could become pressing and urgent when it's not. So, for example, if you said to the bank, oh, my spouse just died, they're on the loan, mm. they're like, all right, well, we've got to reset this in the next 10 minutes because we've been notified and that's yeah. what... The- so, just yeah. chill. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's all I would say. Yeah. I might finish up, but I'll throw to Nick. Do you have any kind of closing statements on someone who might be listening um, and they've never considered this stuff before, like any closing statements or would you take a phone call just as a quick 10-minute Q&A session for them? Like how do you engage? Like do you say, oh, we don't talk to you unless we get paid our will fee or we just, are you happy to chat with someone first and give them the lay of the land? Absolutely. I think that um, before you start trying to lock your clients into um, work that you're going to get paid for, you need to know if you can actually help them and what they need help with. And so I'd rather take the phone call, have a chat, work out what we actually need to do rather than just diving in and doing something that's completely inappropriate and it's just going to cause so much trouble down the track. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had a client just the other day who I spent quite some time on the phone to and the end result was that he didn't need our help and that was a good result. But, you know, we needed to get there. I could have jumped in. I could have said, let's prepare this, um, serve this document and uh, taken it that way and it would have had the complete opposite effect of what we wanted. So I'd rather take the time to have a chat to you, make sure what we do, what you want to do is what you need to do. And if not, then I'm happy because you're happy and you don't need any help. And and it could, be, and I would say, and I'll ask you for some closing comments as well, Angela, I know the majority of our listeners, well, 75% of you do not have consumer debt. So you're ahead of the nominal curve. If you're still in consumer debt, there's a free online course to help you get out of consumer debt. You know, Google it, Glenn James Spending Plan or Glenn James How to Get Out of Debt. I know a lot of our listeners have very good incomes relative to a lot of other Australians. So I know all of you people have got the money to freaking just pay for the will. You just have to get your partner on board to go, this is important, we need to do this. What I would say is when you do contact Angela and the team, discuss, sure, get the will, but just like, well, we're doing this process anyway. Let's just knock over the power of attorney. Absolutely. Let's just get it done. Let people know where it is, put it in the drawer, and please then get on with your life. Yes, exactly. That is the time to do it while you're well and healthy when you don't need it because 
things can happen very suddenly um, without any warning and without any, um, you know, and t- chance to, to make some of these documents. So the best time to make them is when you're well and healthy and they're not needed because then you've got them ready to go in case you do. Just because you make them doesn't mean they're ever going to be needed or used, but if you haven't got them in place, the consequence of that can be that your family then needs to make an application to NCAT for a financial manager, um, which can take months and it's at a time often when you're dealing with other health issues and you really need to be focused on that rather mm. than trying to get an order made. Mm. And a lot of you people are like, oh, I've got $1,000, where do I invest it and all that? Well, you haven't got a will, spend $440, get your will done. Yes. Like just yeah. get it done first. Mm-hmm. And just on that, you guys will make them as kind of bespoke as needed. You know, it might get to the point where it's like, mm. well, no, you bloody own half of Australia in your name's Rupert Murdoch. We're not charging you $440. No, it's like, no. But to a point, like, for example, my will, mm-hmm. I've spelt out that each of my nephews and niece, if I was to die at the moment prematurely, I think it's in there that they get bleach that goes on trust until they're 30 years old or whatever. Now, on that, I did want to give them a fixed number and then their balance is split percentage between my mum and dad and my sister. But there are situations where it's not relevant to give an actual fixed number because that could cause a detriment to the equalisation of the estate. So, yeah, lots to do here, isn't there? That's right. And that's why you have to know what's in the estate, what form it takes, how how it's going might be needed and mm. then make sure you've covered it in a way that makes sure that there's enough to go around and, and you're giving the gifts that you intend to give, yeah. Yeah, mm. and um, you can leave charities. I think I've got a charity yes. or two in my yep. will. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's just your end-of-life wishes. Exactly, yeah. You can be as creative and often the other one we're getting quite a lot of um, are pets, people making sure that their pets are cared for, that they've made um, provision for their pets to be looked after by someone, friend, family, plus an amount of money to look after that pet as well. I mm. shared this on last episode mm. and it was really, it was sad to read. Mm-hmm. And I might, I, I probably still got it on a file server in an archive and I might put it up anonymously. This lady, I think I remember, I think I told you, she put her two German shepherds in the will mm. that upon her death, mm. they're to be euthanized yeah. because she could not want or yeah. get someone else to care for them as yeah. good as her. Yeah. yeah, And I mean, that's a wild thing, but it's her will. It is her will and her wish. Yeah. And that was her wish. Yeah. Yeah. Which, um, um, yeah. But that's, n- that's n- something you can do as well. So you can be as specific as you yeah. like about all of those things. But yeah. I can be specific about my Viking burial on you the water, can. but yes. it means nothing because it actually is not happening. It's illegal or... Is it? I, I, didn't, I don't I, know. Can yeah. you do that? Do I don't know? know. There are some new sort of burial techniques and things going on. Interesting. So it's something definitely to explore if you're interested in yeah. some... because um, that's the time to do it. Yes. As long as you tell people where the will is exactly. and what your wishes are. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So... Well, look, I've outstayed my welcome. Uh, you guys have to get back to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but please, everyone, just for the love of your family... The best love letter you can give to your family. There are two love letters. The first one's a will, last will and testament, mm-hmm. and the other one's a life insurance policy. So please do this because this stuff's real. You know, Angela and Nick, you guys live in this world of death. It happens, right? It does. Did we, yeah, did we leave anything out? Like, so we mentioned kids in the will. Can I put in my will, mm. if I have kids, this is what I want, or you just don't do that? 
You can, but you know what I would recommend? That mm. when you have the kids, you update, update the will, yeah. yeah. We can allow for certain, you know, what ifs, but the mm. best way to deal with those sort of what ifs is wait till you've got the kids. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah, then nice. update the will. But but it's a fascinating, all this stuff, mm. it's fascinating. If I was smart enough, I can absolutely tell you, um, I would want to be a wills and estate lawyer because I just think <laughs> this stuff's fascinating, but I'm not as good as you guys. Oh, and that's why, you know, we have good people to help other people. Now, we are in New South Wales. Can, you know, and I've sent you guys people from all around Australia. Mm-hmm. Like, is it still worth them just have a chat? Sure, absolutely. And if yeah, we have to get to documents yeah. executed on the yes, ground, yeah. you can assist we in can, other yeah, ways? We can, we can organise it. It's, it. it's a little bit more difficult with some of the state legislation that's mm. changed, but we can certainly Yeah, first assist. port of call. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I, I just know you guys will look after people. So, really appreciate it. That's Aubrey Brown Lawyers. Full disclosure, I'm. this is not a paid thing. It's just I know you'll be looked after Uh by reaching out to these guys and they do my own stuff as well and you guys have got a big team so you've got capacity to help listeners all over Australia so Nick thank you so much pleasure and Angela thank you so much as well we acknowledge the Awabakal people traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging we extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.